be in Proverbs 29. And we'll get there in just a moment. And we'll also read um, or cover, tell, you know, the story from Matthew 25. So Proverbs 29, Matthew 25. And uh, so, Father, we just love you. We ask that you would speak your word, that we would hear your word and put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, since we're starting something today, today will be the short part of it. And hopefully next week when it's cooler, we'll add a little bit more to it. And then the third week, we'll add a little bit more. We're still talking about Holy Spirit. We feel like it's important over the next few weeks. I told you as long as the Lord tells me, I'm going to speak on the Holy Spirit. So today, I, I want to speak on the Holy Spirit from this perspective. Um, Holy Spirit causes us to show up and to emerge. Would you say it with me? Holy Spirit causes me to show up and to emerge. And we'll get into what that looks like and what that means. Um, but it's really important that everyone in this house, everyone that's, that's in the body of Christ, that you show up with who you are. Hello? That the authentic person that God created you to be with your gifts, your talents, with the way that you see the world, with the things that you have to offer, it's very important that you show up. And then not only show up, but then you emerge and become even everything God called you to be. And so... Um, Something that the Lord spoke to me a few years ago that I will hold on to forever is that when God speaks to us, he speaks to that emerging person that he sees inside of us. He speaks to the, to the fruitfulness of us. He speaks to the maximum potential in us because when he speaks, he's prophesying over us. Did you know that? That every time God speaks to us, he's prophesying over us. That prophesy over me. Come on, speak to me, Lord. When he speaks, he's prophesying. And what he's doing is he's coming, because the Bible says that God knows the end from the beginning, right? And so he's coming from a perspective that we don't have, and he zooms into our reality in the here and now, and he brings the future with him, and he releases it over us through his voice. That's what prophecy does. Prophecy. So when he prophesies, when he speaks to us, he's speaking to the fruitfulness in us and he's causing us to emerge as the person that he says that we're going to be, which is look just like him. Beautiful, glorious, without spot, without wrinkle. <clears throat> the thing that's important with this, and just follow with me for a moment, we'll just set this up. What's really important with this is that we hide what he says to us in our hearts. Would you say that? Hide his word in my heart. Now, the last, a couple weeks ago, we talked about don't grieve the Holy Spirit. How I many remember? And don't quench the Holy Spirit. So we grieve the Holy Spirit when we do a wrong thing, right? And we quench the Holy Spirit when we don't do a right thing. So the Old Testament law was don't do a wrong thing. That's sin. But the New Testament definition of sin was when you don't do the good you know to do. All right? So... If we hide his word in our heart, we will not. Psalm 119.11, we learned it in kids school, right? Thy word, Lord, have I hidden in my heart that I will not sin against you. That covers both sides. So we hide what he says to us. We treasure what he says to us in our hearts. And it keeps us from doing wrong things, which is sin. But it also keeps us from being inactive and doing the good we know to do, which is also sin. Hello? Are y'all going to be okay today? All right. I know it's tough. I know it's tough on you. I know it really is, but we can do this. We can do this together. 
We hide His Word in our hearts so that we will not sin by doing wrong things and we won't sin by being just sitting here. He wants us to be activated. He wants us to emerge as sons and daughters. We've talked about this. All of creation is literally groaning and complaining and crying out for the sons of God to be revealed. 1 John 3 says, What manner of love has the Father lavished or whatever your translation says i like the word lavished because it just sounds like big and awesome and beautiful what manner of love has the father lavished on us that we should be called children sons and daughters of god and that is who we are so he's wanting us to rise up as sons and daughters not just to rise up as someone who's part of an organization christianity is not an organization the church is not an organization. It's a living thing. It's a being. It's the bride of Christ. And he wants us to awaken. And the way that we do that is we hear the word of the Lord, which is prophecy over us. And we take care of it. We treasure it and we store it up in our heart so that we will not sin. So that we can become and have everything that he has for us. Amen? It's just like Mary. When the angel appeared to her and told her what was going to happen to her, you're going to have this son, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to become impregnated with the Messiah. She's like, be it unto me as you have spoken. And then it says that all the things that were prophesied over the child in her, she treasured them in her heart, and she thought about them. How cool is that? The mother of Jesus had prophetic words declared over him and the son that she's carrying in her womb and she treasured the things that were said about him in her heart and she stored them up there and she she delighted in them that's what it means when the lord speaks to us we need to have that type of attitude because he's enlarging us from the inside out and he's releasing inheritance to us the thing is there's a prophetic guy named larry randolph many of you may have never even heard this guy before but he's amazing in the prophetic and he says this. He says, God um, is obligated to keep his word for us. I mean, believe that. Like, God is obligated. And I don't like saying obligated because that makes it feel like I'm his boss. But God obligates himself to his word. <laughs> he, he, when he couldn't find anything else to swear by, he sweared by his name. So he's, he's obligated himself to keep the things that he says are going to happen but god is not obligated to fulfill our potential i'm gonna say it again i'm gonna i'm gonna walk the aisles today that's right god obligates himself to keep his words and his promises to us but he is not obligated to fulfill our potential because it takes us for that to happen so many of us have had prophetic words spoken over us and, and we thought, well, he prophesied it. It's going to happen. I'm just waiting on the Lord. Now, waiting is an active thing. It's not a sitting thing. Those who wait upon the Lord, it's not, it's, not, it's not this waiting thing. Waiting on the Lord is actually a military thing. It's an act of warfare. Because I wait while I do His will. I wait while I do the things he told me to do. I wait by being obedient to the word he spoke to me. I may not have the fullness of what he said. I'm still waiting for that. But while I wait, I work. <laughs> yes, all right. 
So it's really important that when he prophesies and he speaks over us, that we treasure it in our heart, but that we respond to it and we put it into action in our life so that we can see the fruit of it. See, obedience connects us to the inheritance, not just hearing it. It's like this. There's a big difference between having money in your account and being able to access the money in your account. All right? How many of you have ever gotten a, a nice check, a big check, and you deposit it, and they tell you those funds will be available to you in 14 days or whatever it is? Like, I don't understand. They're just digits. Why can't I have my digits right now? Well, we just need to hold it for 14 days. I'm like, it's my money. Why you got to hold it? I don't know. That's what... Okay, so there's a big difference between having the money in your account and having access to it. A lot of us have a lot of money in our account that we haven't accessed. So Holy Spirit comes along and He causes us to show up. And we're like, oh man, look at all this money in my account. But we don't stop there. Then He causes us to emerge. Which accesses what's in our account so we can put it into practice. So that it's fruit for myself and it's also for the benefit of other people. Amen? My obedience to what he tells me is, is what builds character inside of me. Oh. Character. You're like, does character matter? Absolutely character matters. Well, is character more important than gifting? Yes, character is more important than giftings. But they, they can do this and they can perform signs and wonders and they're so talented. This and this. It doesn't matter. If there's no character from obedience that's submitted to the will and to the word of God, then it doesn't matter. And the Bible even says that on that day, many people will come to me and say, Hey, Lord, we're so awesome. We prophesied in your name. And we cast out devils. And we healed the sick. And we cleansed the lepers. And he's going to say, Well, good for you. But I didn't even know you. Because character matters. It goes back to when the disciples were, were casting out demons and healing the sick. And they came back to Jesus and they're like, look, the demons tremble when you, we use your name. And he's like, that is so awesome. But what you need to really rejoice in is that you know me and I know you. Your, your, your name is in my book. Because character matters. And character comes from the submission to him. It comes from obedience. So when we submit to him, when we obey him, we discipline ourselves. We're just building a slow foundation, right? We discipline ourselves to steward who he says we are. Let's read it. Proverbs 29, verse 17 through 19. Proverbs 29, verse 17 through 19. See, when we submit to him, his word creates vision. And his vision creates boundaries. Proverbs 29, verse 17. Correct a son. Woo. I love that. Correct a son and he will give you comfort. Another translation says he will respond well. Correct a son and he will comfort you. He will bring delight to your soul. Come on. I love it when my kids obey. Anyone else? It brings delight to my soul. I, I didn't have to say anything. The other day, uh, we, ah, poor kid, preacher's kids. Okay, my parents did it to me. I guess I'm just keeping it up. Um, Josiah did something so awesome. I was so proud. He handled something really well. 
and I called him. I called him and said, "Hey, I want to. I want to know how you handled this thing." And when he told me how he handled it, I was like, "That's so awesome! That's my kid." I didn't tell him any. He responded better than I could have told him to. I am so delighted in you, son. Because there's discipline that's being built inside of him, and he knew the boundaries and the way that Patterson boys are supposed to function, right? And he handled himself properly. He handled himself better than I did at 18 years old and 13. I was so proud of him. I delighted him. This is what this verse says. If you discipline a son, correct a son, he will bring comfort to you and he will delight your soul. Then what does it say? We all know this verse. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Another version says they're unrestrained or they cast off restraints. They cast off boundaries. But happy, come on, say happy. You want to be happy? Here's how. We stay happy. Keep the law. It says a servant, though. So you correct a son, and he will bring delight to you. But a servant, they can't be corrected by mere words. It says, though he understands, he will not respond. How many want to be a son or a daughter, right? And, and obey the Lord and please the Lord. So when he speaks and he prophesies into us, he's speaking to the thing that he wants to emerge inside of us. He's beckoning. He's calling to the deepest place in us to come forth. He's resurrecting. He's bringing us to life. And when we respond to that through submission and obedience, it creates boundary lanes for our life. Everyone say the word boundaries. What do you think of when you think of boundaries? How many think boundaries are fun? Sometimes they're not. A lot of times they really are fun. I, we were driving down the road the other day and Mandy's like, it is so amazing. Whoever invented lanes, like stripes on the road, and it's amazing that people pretty much follow <laughs> the lanes on the road. Like we're going fast down this road and we're like six or eight feet apart and we're going opposite ways and both of us are restrained by the boundary line, the little yellow line right in the middle. They can't hurt me. There's no like punishment if I over the line. And yet humanity follows the boundary line. And because of it, we get where we're supposed to go safely and quickly. It is amazing. Think how close you drive to people on the highway, on the roads. Like, oh, don't think too much. <laughs> the boundaries are good for us. Boundaries are really good for us. They're healthy for us, right? And boundaries are rules. They're, they're rules from God, but they're not meant to control us. Boundaries signify the governing territory in which His grace will rest upon us. I'm going to say that again because that might be one of the most critical points to where we're going in the next few weeks. The boundaries that God sets for us, it's not Him controlling us or restraining us. It's him saying, if you will stay within these boundaries right here, my empowering presence or my grace will rest heavily upon you in this area. Yeah, come on. If you go outside of these boundaries, my grace doesn't go with you to that point because I'm bound to my boundaries. Come on. So we need to stay in our lanes that God has established for us. We need to live inside the boundary that he has drawn for us. I love that the psalmist says, the, the boundary lines of God have fallen in pleasant places for me. 
David was saying, when God set up boundaries for my life, David was saying, God, I love the boundaries that you've created for me. They, they have put me in a pleasant place. See, boundaries are places where we can freely run within them and we have an unlimited measure of His grace. Have you ever tried something and there was no grace on it? That's tough, isn't it? What happened? I got outside my boundaries somewhere. I, I may need to go back and try to figure out where did I get outside my lane? Our response to His boundaries proves that we value the inheritance he gave to us. See, when God gives us a boundary area, he's saying, it's actually a reward. Like, oh, I feel so constricted here. This place is too small for me. This is not good enough. No, the Lord blessed us with this place. This house just doesn't have enough room. This job is stifling my creativity. No, the Lord gave you those places. For you to steward and prosper well there. And if you will stay within the boundaries there, God will give you his empowering presence and his grace. And if you steward that boundary well, he will increase the territory. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Let's look at David just for a moment, all right? This is in uh, 1 Samuel 15 through 17. You can read the whole story if you'd like to later. But in 1 Samuel 15 through 17, it tells the story of how David goes from being a shepherd boy to being anointed king. That's a big, that's a lot of stuff happening in a couple of chapters. Yeah. And we don't, we don't see the whole time and everything that went on there. We just have a picture, a little bit. But I want you to see something. David carried deliverance in him as a shepherd boy, even when he was all alone in the fields. His passion for God was stirred up in this place of solitude, the boundaries that God gave him. He didn't even know what he carried until he was confronted with a lion and a bear. Now, he knew that he was responsible for the sheep, the boundaries that God drew for him. And as long as he was taking care and stewarding the sheep that his father entrusted to him, then the empowering presence of God was on David's life. And it was so strong that the anointing would come over him inside of his boundary and he yeah. could defeat a lion with his bare hands. Come on. What kind of anointing and grace comes upon a man, a boy, a 16, 15, 16-year-old 16 boy, that he rips a, a bear and a lion with his bare hands? Yeah. And it wasn't because, oh, I see that enemy, I'm going to go after it. I want you to picture this. This is really important. He didn't see an enemy and say, I'm going to go pursue that enemy. The enemy came into his territory. Yeah. The enemy came from outside of his territory into the territory he was responsible for. And because it was his area, his metron, his area of influence, his area of responsibility, the anointing of God came upon him so that he could steward and protect what he was called to steward and protect. That's why he killed the lion and the bear. Then Samuel shows up. Oh, man. Then Samuel shows up. Boom, four big words. Changed his life forever. Samuel shows up and he's like, I'm here to anoint the new king of Israel. And one of your boys, Jesse, one of your boys is going to be the king. 
He goes through every single one of them. Didn't even think of David. Yeah. Man, what vindication, right? When David walked in, they're like, oh yeah, that's the guy. <laughs> Bring him from the fields. David walks in all, didn't even get to shower, didn't even get to brush his teeth. He didn't look like a king. He smelled like sheep and he walked in. And when Samuel saw him, the Lord said, that's him. So what was his area of influence before? Sheep. Now the anointing of the Lord is poured over him. The Holy Spirit represents the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit causes him to show up. And now he's emerging as not just a shepherd of sheep, but now you're going to be a shepherd of people. His sphere of influence immediately enlarged. It happened in here first. I want you to... So when he goes and he's taking cheese and whatever, all the food and the snacks to his brothers, and he hears this Philistine named Goliath making fun of his God that he's in love with, that he writes love stories to, he hears him talking bad about God, and because his sphere of influence is no longer just sheep, it's now the people of Israel, he's like, oh, this is my responsibility. So he tells them the story. He's like, hey, guys, whenever something's put in my care, this is how I take care of it. One day I was taking care of my father's sheep and a lion came out. And you know what I did to that lion? I killed it with my bare hands. Yeah. Whoa. Like, okay. Then later on, a bear came to take my sheep that I was responsible for. And you know what I did? I tore the bear apart with my bare hands. Why? Because this is how I take care of what I'm responsible for. And you're going to let this guy talk bad about my God and laugh at his army and his people in front of everyone? No, this is now my responsibility. I will do the same to him that I did to the lion and to the bear. Why? Because it's my area of influence. It is what I am responsible for. Are you tracking with me? The anointing you need to overcome the enemy that steps into your territory comes when you're in your territory under the grace of God. But if you get outside of your territory, you will get beat up. But something will happen to you sometimes. You will step into a new arena and not really even know it yet. And you'll be like, oh, this doesn't feel right. There's injustice here. And I want to fix injustice. Why do you feel that? Because God's letting you feel who you really are. He's letting you experience who he sees you as. So when David, he wasn't a shepherd boy anymore. He wasn't an errand boy. He stepped out there and here's Goliath making fun of his God. And he's like, oh no. He, he was bigger on the inside. Everyone looked at him and laughed. Like this guy's going to go fight that guy? Here, put some weapons and put some armor on and protect yourself. And he's like, this doesn't fit me. I got to stick with what? I got to stick with my influence, what I'm responsible for. And I can use the slingshot really, really well. So I'm going to go take care of this guy. Not because I want to show off. Not because I'm looking for an enemy to defeat. But because he stepped into a territory that is now my responsibility. So I'm showing up, David's showing up, and then he's emerging into a giant killer right in front of everyone's eyes. His favor had increased. And how did it happen? The prophet Samuel came to him and prophesied over him. 
you're the next king. And when he was prophesied over, something changed. His influence changed. His favor changed. This area of influence and the area that he was responsible for just expanded. And now he's bigger on the inside than he is on the outside. Come on. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says this. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Right? But then it has another line right after that. We didn't even talk about it. And it says, and do not despise the prophetic. Come on. Do not despise the prophetic. prophecy over him shifted his identity. See, David stopped acting like a shepherd of sheep and he started acting like a shepherd of people. Like that. It didn't matter how people treated him. He became who he was on the inside on the outside and people stepped in line. When Saul was tormented, what did David do? David went and played his heart for him. This man who would later try to kill him who was tormented by demons. David went in with his heart and he would worship the Lord. And as he began to play the heart so skillfully and beautifully and the anointing would come upon him, then Saul's demons would leave him. When Israel was being tormented, David stepped up to the occasion and he rose up in the anointing of God and he killed Goliath. And when he killed Goliath, everyone else all of a sudden remembered who they were now. See, when their king remembered who he was, they followed suit. And when Saul tried to kill him, David acted like a king then too. He wouldn't touch God's anointed, even though he was the king. that was already anointed to be the next king. He wouldn't touch Saul because he acted like a king. In here, he was already a king. Yeah. I want to speak to you right now. Every one of you in this room, in the sound of my voice, you've shown up, but there's also something inside of you that's emerging that you may not even know of yet. And God is prophesying to that thing now to come forth. He's speaking to it. Uh, over the, this week and next week, we're going to begin to pray for specific people in this room and everyone that wants prayer for you to emerge into your calling. I feel very strongly we're going to anoint the leaders of this house and we're going to call them into the next stage of their influence. I saw this in a dream, like a, like a quick dream vision, however you want to call it, of us taking the leaders and, and, and like just, for example, Shagoon stepping up here. This is who I see you as, Shagoon, but this is who God sees you as. Become that man. In Jesus' name. Like, we're going to anoint next Sunday. We're going to do this. We're going to call everyone forward. And we're going to prophesy over you. Why? Because there's a call on this house. There is. Did you know that February was 50 years of this being a church? And there's an anointing and a call on this house that has never been fully apprehended. We've seen moments of it. We've seen great miracles and people saved and healed and deliverances and all kinds of amazing stories. I love all of them and I remember they're our history, our heritage. But God's not finished with this house. And we need everyone here to show up and emerge for that to become reality. Not just for the church, but for our families. For everyone as an individual, God wants us to rise up and become everything He called us to be. Why don't you stand?
David was set apart because of his zeal for God and for his zeal for the things of God. Would you say that with me? David, David. Had, a had a zeal for God and the things of God. And that was prophesied over Jesus. It said that the zeal for the house of the Lord will consume him. That's how we're going to close today. We're going to pray that God would cause the zeal for his house, for the things that he loves, to consume us. To absolutely take over our lives. To become the thing that we live for. All right? The second thing we're going to pray for is to redevelop a focus on the secret place. Come on. You were, wo you were woven together. Where? In the secret place. You were knitted together perfectly in the secret place. David became a giant killer in a secret place. Every one of us have responded to God and said yes to him. Where? In a secret place. We cannot walk away from the secret place. The altar that we create for us in God. The place of date night with God. Come on. Every day of our life. We have to stir up the secret place. So the first thing we're going to pray is for the zeal of God to consume us. So would you pray, pray with me? I would, I would love for you to pray out loud. You're not going to scare me how loud you get. Pray out loud for the zeal of God to come. Father, we ask right now for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to come upon us and for the zeal for the house of the Lord to consume us. For the zeal of the things of God, for the things that you love to consume us, God. Where we get a burn for righteousness. Come on, yeah. Where we burn for righteousness. over every one of us. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is who we are. Now speak to your heart's attractions. Come on. God, I speak to my heart's attractions that I'll be attracted to the things of God. Come on. That my appetites will be for the things of God. Second thing, the secret place. I don't, I don't want guilt and shame in the room, all right? But we should feel sorrow if something needs to be fixed. Because godly sorrow does what? It brings us to repentance. We don't stay in godly sorrow because it will become shame. But godly sorrow should convict us. It's the Holy Spirit. He convicts us. and says, hey, you left the secret place. You left the place where you're your, yourself the most. You're you there more than anywhere else in that secret place. God wants us to live from the secret place. Jesus constantly left the people to go to the secret place to be with His Father. So Father, right now we repent for leaving the secret garden of our heart. We repent for letting weeds grow there. We repent for letting animals that are wild to grow there. We repent for letting other desires and other passions take root in our secret garden. And right now, we uproot. Would you do the prophetic act? I want you to uproot anything. Like You know, things may come to your mind. God, I uproot the things that have planted themselves in the secret place of my heart. I uproot them right now. They have no hold on me. This is the secret place where you and I belong. Only me and you. Nothing else belongs here. Only the things of God. I uproot right now. 
Now, God, I ask that you fertilize this garden, fertilize this secret place. Make it a sweet place again, God. I'm going to ask for a response. Just a simple raise of your hand. If you say, I will rededicate myself to the secret place. Would you raise your hand? Come on, this is a covenant between us and God. God, you see us. Lift our hand to you. This is a covenant between us and you. We will tend to the secret place, the secret garden of our heart. So that we can show up and so we can emerge as the sons and daughters you've called us to be. We will have no other gods before us. You will be our God. And we will be your people. Let's close with that. You will be my God. And I will be your people. One more time. You will be my God. And I will be your people. If you'd like more prayer, we're right here at the front. We want to pray.